The following message is from the 2017 IBCD Institute, Addictions, Grace for the Journey. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your mercy and your grace to us. We thank you for uh, your Savior Son who has come after us and has rescued us from, our, from us uh, and the world and the devil. Strengthen us and bless us tonight with understanding, which will lead then to skill building and changed lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Come on in. Bring them in from the fields of sin. That's an old gospel hymn. Some of you probably never heard that. So bring them in, bring them in. Okay. Who is a good counselor? Uh, What makes that person a good counselor. Uh, We could ask, who do you think's uh, the best counselor that you know? Uh, I think that's very, very simple. It's Jesus Christ. Um, People would give you different answers. Uh, Oh, your favorite, you know, Stuart Scott or John Street or Ed Welsh or someone. But, uh, you know, Christ is the perfect counselor. And that's easy to know. He's the wonderful counselor. Uh, Take your Bibles. Uh, We're going to look at our Bibles uh, tonight. Uh, Look at Isaiah. And uh, uh, I tried to argue this before some of you were born uh, back in the the 70s. Uh, Is anybody born before the 70s? Okay. True confession time. Okay. But... uh, we had an article, it was the Westminster Theological Journal, and it was called The Wonderful Counselor, The Other Counselor, and Christian Counseling. So I'm convinced, and just to give you a quick summary, is that when Jesus Christ is spoken of in the book of Isaiah, that's what he has in mind when he says in John, I will pray to the Father, and the Father will send what? Another Paracletos, helper, it's translated, it can be translated variously, but the helper is obviously the Holy Spirit. And in the original language, which, you know, you're not supposed to mention when you preach, you know, because it sounds tacky, you know, like, I know this, but uh, you can ask for another piece of fruit or another of the same kind. Alos is the, is the Greek word, and that means another of exactly the same kind. I'll pray to the Father and ask him to send what? Another helper, a parakletos, uh, the, the one who comes alongside. That's what the Greek word parakleo, called alongside to, to give aid, to give comfort, or to exhort. There's various meanings, and one of them could be the counselor. And I think that that's exactly what's being referred to. Look at Isaiah. Uh, uh, most of you know it. It's a series of sermons that Isaiah preached uh, under the administration of four different kings of, uh, <coughs> of Judah. Under uh, Uzziah, the one that got, you know, uh, leprosy. Jotham, Ahaz, and then Hezekiah. So Jewish uh, literature says he lived and preached for about 50 years. And uh, tradition said he got sawn in half. Whether or not that's the case, Uh, that's referred to in Hebrews, uh, we're not exactly sure, but he preached, and he preached to Judah, and it's in a context, and 
in chapter 7, okay, just to give you the background, we now have Ahaz, who is really what? Is he a good king or bad king? Bad king. Bad, okay? He's afraid of the northern kingdom and Syria, and God says to him, what? What are you, what are you afraid of? These kind of smoking firebrands, they're not going to be around 60 years from now. So we read in Isaiah, in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, <coughs> Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekin, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount attack against it. When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees in the forest shake before the wind. You don't have trees around here in the forest. So the Cleveland National Forest, they came out here and I'm looking for the trees. Where's, where's the trees, okay? So imagine at least California palms, okay? You know, with the fronds blowing back and forth. They're, they're afraid, okay? And, and Jehovah said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shir Jehazog, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool, the highway to the washer's field. Say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria, the son of Remaliah, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, let's go up against Judah, terrify it, let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as the king in the midst of it. Thus says Jehovah God, it shall not stand, it shall not come to pass, for the head of Syria is Damascus, the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken to pieces, so it will no longer be a people. The Assyrian captivity. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Now here's an interesting thing. What does God go on? And again, Jehovah spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of Jehovah your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put Jehovah to the test. Sounds very pious, right? I'm not going to ask for a special sign from God. So what, um, what's a he, that is Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, Jehovah himself will give you a sign. And what's the sign? Behold, a virgin shall conceive, and his name shall be Emmanuel. Now, you know, the liberal critics say, oh, that, that's just a young virgin. It doesn't mean a, you know, it's a young a maiden. It's not a virgin. Hello? What kind of miracle is that? There's young girls getting pregnant all over the place. But if a virgin conceives and gives birth to what? God with us. That is the sign of signs. And so God said, I'll pick it for you. So it's the context of what? Jesus Christ. It's a prophecy of Jesus Christ. Now we go on, and this is just the background. Chapter 8 says, don't you be afraid. Uh, don't call it a conspiracy, what they call a conspiracy. I'll tell you who you should be afraid of. Jehovah God. 
you should fear me. In fact, I'll give a talk uh, tomorrow, uh, a workshop on the fear of God, the beginning of counsel. Yeah? The fear of God. So he talks about that, and then, of course, you know the well-known passage in chapter 9. What does it say? But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Does that sound familiar? I don't even have to be a great exegete to figure out because the New Testament quotes that about Jesus Christ. And what does it say later on uh, in verse 9? For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called what? Wonderful Counselor. The Hebrew word for wonderful is usually used of God's acts in creation or redemption. Only once of a human being. So it's what? The awe-provoking counselor. The child. The virgin-born child will be what? The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Okay? We know that that's Christ. Why is that important? Because he is right? The most amazing counselor that has or ever will live. <clears throat> so my contention to you is, how would you like to have the attributes of Christ? Now, we can't have the eternal attributes because he's fully God and fully man. We can't be infinite eternal. We can't be part of the Trinity. We know that. But, but how would you like to be a counselor like Jesus Christ. That, good, good, they're smart. They teach him something in seminary, I guess. <coughs> he can figure out that he wants to be a counselor like Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, that counselor comes, and now we have something about counseling. And that's why I believe that when Jesus says, I'll pray to the Father to give another Paracletos, helper, who comes alongside and gives advice. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit. Now, more to the point, okay, how could we study this, Jesus counseling? Two ways I suggest, and one I would like to do a seminar sometime on it. I've kind of hinted at this, but you can do this study of your own. I would encourage you to go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John but particularly John, and do what? See how Jesus counseled people. We could go through, how did he counsel Nicodemus? How did he counsel the twelve, you know, his, his apostles? How did he counsel the woman at the well, which Ed Welsh mentioned tonight? How did he counsel uh, the ruler whose son was, uh, you know, going to die? How did he counsel the man at the pool of Bethesda? How did he counsel the man born blind? I submit to you that that would be a tremendous study in terms of how to counsel. Because again, even though he's God, and the Gospel of John, I think, is trying to prove that, you know, the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. Here are examples 
And it starts off in chapter 2, remember, at Passover. He performs many miracles. Many people believe him. And then we have this interesting thing that John says. He did not entrust himself to what? People because he knew what was in them. He didn't have to have anybody reveal to them. So part of the Gospel of John and indirect proof of Christ's deity is his ability to look right through a person and go, uh, go get your husband. Well, I'm not married. You're right. You had five guys and the guy you're shacking up with is not your husband. Okay. Oh, I perceive you're a prophet. Well, what, else, what else do you say to a guy like that? As he said to later, uh, come meet a guy who's told me everything I've ever done. Okay. So as to God's divinity, we can't imitate that. But there are qualities in Christ that I think made him a great counselor. Now, why do I say that? Look at chapter 11, and then we'll, we'll, we'll camp here for the rest of the time. Now remember, this is Isaiah prophesying before the Babylonian captivity, and he's saying, look, you're going down. Judah's going down because of its sin. Uh, it's irrevocable. We're going to go into captivity, but God will save a remnant and bring them back. And so we have this theme here, chapter 11, and that's going to be our text for this evening. Now the first uh, four, uh, well, I'll read for context down to, to verse 9. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of Jehovah shall rest upon him. And now is the description. The Spirit of what? Wisdom and understanding. Notice the couples. Wisdom and understanding go together. The Spirit of counsel and might or strength. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, or the fear of Jehovah. And his delight shall be in the fear of Jehovah. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. That sound familiar? Ephesians chapter 6. And faithfulness, the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion, fattened calf together, a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, the young shall lie down together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of Jehovah as the waters cover the sea. Brothers and sisters, please make that your prayer every day. 
that the earth may be covered with the knowledge of Jehovah as the waters cover the sea. Okay. So here we have, okay, and let's go through this, because I, I would argue that the Holy Spirit helped Jesus Christ. There's a great mystery, right? He's fully God, fully man, totally unique. But as we learn from 1 Peter chapter 2, how did Jesus Christ get through his temptations? I think we have a tendency to think he, he went into hyperspace in terms of his divinity, right? Somehow he tapped into his divine power to, to avoid. And no, it says he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. When he was threatened, he didn't threaten return. He didn't, you know, he didn't retaliate. He didn't revile. How did he do that? He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously, the Father. So, Jesus is unique, but as to his humanity, he had to depend on the Father through the power of the Spirit to do the miracles and, and to get through the temptation. And I think the Holy Spirit gave him the ability not only to perform miracles, but to counsel people wisely. So let's go through this. So you have the line of David's going to be cut off. That says, there comes forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Stump of Jesse is the Davidic line. And you remember when they went into exile, right? They came back, no king. So the line of Jesse's cut off, but what comes out of it? And you know this, you've seen these lists of Jesus' names. You know, the branch. Okay? The branch. And a branch shall come forth, shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of Jehovah, now again, in the Old Testament, we don't have a full-blown doctrine of the Trinity. It's implied, but the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the water. The Spirit of the Lord, Jehovah, uh, comes upon Samson and others to perform those, those mighty deeds that we read of in, in Hebrews chapter 11. And so here's the picture. The Messiah, who is the one who's going to be what? The virgin-born Emmanuel, God with us, who is the light of the world, you know, chapter 9, who is the wonderful counselor. And so what we see is Jesus bringing <clears throat> the word of God to people in general, but to individuals, giving them wise counsel and direction. So let's look at these, okay? The Holy Spirit is the source of his counsel, I believe, as to his human nature. So what's the, the spirit of what? Wisdom and understanding. Okay, what's wisdom? Okay. Notice these go together. Yeah, you almost really reverse them. You almost have to have the discernment or understanding along with the wisdom. What's wisdom? Yeah. Biblically, if you study it, particularly in the book of Proverbs or elsewhere in the wisdom literature, Wisdom is what? Applied knowledge. Applied knowledge. The ability to get something done. The noun means wisdom, skill, ability. The verb means to be wise, skilled, or shrewd, or clever. And the concept, I think, is best seen. Turn over to the book of Proverbs where wisdom is personified. You're probably all familiar with that, especially chapter 8, where 
Wisdom is personified as a, a woman. The wise woman, the godly woman, who wisdom is calling out to the naive young uh, who are kind of dumb and easily picked off by strange women and gang bangers. It's kind of, right? What are his first nine chapters? Hey, avoid the guys that say, let's go beat up on somebody, we'll become rich. Gang bangers, you know, and sleazy women. You know, the pigs with the gold ring in their nose, okay? Uh, you, so you got those, it's as, it's as modern as downtown San Diego, you know? Uh, and so avoiding this, okay, because I think Solomon is trying to train uh, his, some of his young uh, sons to be leaders, and he said, man, if you, if you hang with this woman, you'll be okay. But if you hang with this woman, you'll have hell to pay for it, literally. That's what's going on, okay? And, and aid is what? Does not wisdom call, does not understanding, and there's perception, raise her voice. So there's pairing of this, wisdom, understanding. On the heights beside the way at the crossroads, she takes her stand beside the gates of the front of the town, etc., etc., etc. So you have that all through chapter eight. Wisdom is personified, and she calls the simple to learn from her. Most of the time when people come to us, it's very rare that someone comes and says, I just been so blessed, I had to come by and tell you. It's only happened to me once in 20 years when I was out here. I prayed with the person and I was embarrassed to death because I said, you're probably not here to tell me how much you've been blessed and to give a big gift you know, to the ministry. And he said, that's exactly why I'm here. <laughs> We were doing terrible. We finally listened to you. They moved a couple states away, and uh, they were there. Boy, was I embarrassed. <laughs> okay, but uh, rarely do people come in and go, "Yeah, I'm just so blessed. I just got to tell you." They come in. Why? Because <clears throat> they don't have wisdom. Doesn't care if they're as old as me in their 70s or they're little. They don't have the smarts and the wisdom to figure out how to get through this. Especially if you were here for the pre-conference and abuse, it's tough to know how to get through living with an abusive spouse or parent. What? So, so uh, she lives with uh, discretion and knowledge and. Uh, the, this equals the fear of the Lord and the hatred of evil. Um, she is uh, with God at the beginning of creation, we're told. And before uh, at creation, uh, was instrumental in that creation. Therefore, listen to me and be blessed. And then, of course, chapter 9 contrasts her with the sleazy uh, woman uh, folly. So it's this, it's this ability to get things done. Uh, it's a skill. Sometimes the word is used of um, the men who had the skills, you know, to build the tabernacle or the temple. So that's the kind of craftsmanship is the idea behind it. And, and you can see that's pretty clear that you need that, right? I'm going to give another talk uh, tomorrow on the need of individual counseling. <clears throat> and I'll mention two things there. Uh, one's uh, Jim Neuheiser's book. You know, parenting is not a formula. 
and Jay Adams' book, uh, Insight and Creativity into Counseling, because for most of us, we want, we run a formula, let's be honest, right? We're Americans. We went 12 steps to this, 12 steps to that, three ways to a better life, you know, and hey, it happens in biblical counseling. Tell me the three causes of anorexia and the five steps to get rid of it, right? It doesn't work that way. Let me just tell you, after almost 50 years of ministry, you know, this is supernatural stuff. You know, this is as hard as walking on water. You can't, it's above your pay grade to help people. It's only the Holy Spirit can do that. So it takes this incredible wisdom to craft things to help, okay? So, um, uh, maybe uh, another analogy, uh, inventions. I'm not a very inventive person. Um, you know, I cried about three seconds when they tell me I didn't need a math course in college, okay? I was gonna go to law school, okay? So anybody that can do math beyond addition, subtraction, uh, I think's brilliant, okay? <laughs> So all of you mathematicians out there, I, I just give you tremendous uh, kudos, okay? Uh, people who come up with inventions or patents. Okay? I don't know if you've ever seen the show. Uh, there was a show on, I think I saw it on an airplane once going on a trip, about how people have made millions of dollars. All kinds of interesting things. <clears throat> One guy got a new way of shaving heads. I don't know if you got that thing, that little razor thing that you put on and kind of runs over your head and you know, shaves you. I mean, he made millions of dollars on that. And another guy, <clears throat> he got a beer tap that you know, didn't put a head on it. You know, so he, all these different inventions. And one woman made lots of money by inventing sliding doors that had kind of uh, whiteboards on it you know, so you could, you could do your uh, meetings with you know, whiteboards, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's the idea. <clears throat> Can you see how that relates to counseling? Now, paired with it is what? What's the second word? Okay, back to Isaiah. Wisdom and, what's the second one? Honor. Understanding. Okay, at least my translation. You have a different translation? Understanding, perception, okay. This is more like the word discernment, okay? The ability to look at things and see how they're connected. Can you see how the two are, you know, if I don't know how things work or should work, I don't know how things are broken. And if I don't know how they should work and how they're broken, I don't have a concept of how to fix it. That's what the noun means, understanding, insight, or discrimination. The verb means to understand, discern, look carefully at, examine carefully, and analytically. Of course, God is the only one who can do this perfectly, right? It's kind of interesting. Uh, uh, let's look at a passage on that. Uh, Deuteronomy 31.21. You might want to turn there. Deuteronomy 31, 21. Uh, and this is where Moses is uh, predicting, or God's predicting through Moses, what's going to happen. This is very interesting. <clears throat> uh, and again, this is where uh, 
we need the Holy Spirit to work with the Word because we can't do what God does. Uh, but God says in Deuteronomy 31, 21, uh, Joshua is to succeed Moses and he's preaching this and then he's reading of the law and uh, Joshua is commissioned. And later in this chapter, in verse 21, this is what we read. Well, let me back up to, uh, to 19. Now, therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grow fat, they'll do what? They'll turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. For I know what they are inclined to do even today before I have brought them into the land that I swore to give. So here you have God looking at Israel and go, I've chosen a bunch of losers. It's only my grace that's going to keep them going. That's really the, the theme of this. But see, God looks and he sees the flaw in his people and he knows it ahead of time. And he provides what? Sacrifices to point forward to Jesus Christ and eventually Jesus Christ to come and live in the place. See, that's the kind of discernment that you need. The kind of discernment. We see it sort of preliminary in, in Solomon, don't we? Negatively and positively. Anybody remember uh, Shimei? Remember who Shimei was? He was the guy that cursed David when he was going out of Jerusalem. When, uh, you know, get out of here, you bloody man. You know, yeah, this is the blood of Saul's family. You're dirty, no good. And David comes back. Okay, and remember, he had guys that said, let me go whack the dude and kill him. He says, look, maybe God sent him to curse me. <coughs> okay, now David never forgot. You know why? I'm not saying it's right, but right before he died, he says, by the way, you know, Solomon, make sure that Shimei doesn't go to his grave peacefully. Remember? And so what's he do? He sets this up and he says, okay, uh, I can't just whack you because uh, it's not right to do, but here's the deal. You stay in where? Jerusalem. The minute you step outside of Jerusalem, you are dead meat. And you remember what happened. His servants ran away, and he went after them, and normal. And that was it. Solomon said, I warned you. You're gone. That's the negative, okay? Uh, Solomon, also positively, we see this discernment, right? Hey, because I want to ask him, why you have two prostitutes anyway? Anyway, that's beside the point. Two prostitutes, you know, remember the story? They both have kids. You know, and the one rolls over on the kid and smothers the kid. The kid's dead, okay? And she kind of goes, switches the baby and puts it under the other woman, you know, and uh, puts the dead baby, her dead baby there, and takes her baby. And they come to Solomon. And Solomon looks at him and goes, I'd never do this, okay? 
Okay, I can adjudicate this one. Bring a sword and cut the baby in half. Get half to this woman and half to this woman. And the one woman goes, yeah. And the other woman goes, nope, give her to me. That's the real mom. That's discernment. Like, and everybody goes, don't mess with Solomon. See? That's discernment. See, and that's, that's what you need to, to do uh, when you're working with people. You need discernment. Why? Uh, let me give you one of my, uh, what I think I've learned. I, I, I may be wrong. Uh, but most often, guys have a hard time with women that have big mouths. We talked about abuse all day, okay? Now, why do most women get on men's cases? I think it's fear. Some women with fear kind of cringe in the corner. Others get motor mouth, right? They get going, and they go, what? I brought you into the world, Jamul, and I can take you out, okay? We all laugh at that, but the bottom line is, you know, that, that's fear behind that. Uh, to be under a bad husband is not easy, because remember Peter says there in 1 Peter, submit and don't be afraid of anything that's what? Frightening. Peter's not pulling any punches. He said, look, to submit to some verstunkene, sinful guy, and that's all husbands, okay, to, to a greater or lesser extent, you know, I got to submit to that? So often people will cower with fear. Others, the mouth will start. Even if you're married to an NFL linebacker, okay? I mean, how many convicted felons are there, you know, in the NFL who beat their wives? Rice and others, okay? Bottom line is, why does a woman slap the husband? Not because she's thinking. She goes, hey, you know, I can take him. No? You know, because of fear leads to a motor mouth. Anyway, it's that kind of discernment, okay? Or, uh, I'll give you one. Uh, my charismatic friend said I got a word of knowledge. I don't think it was. I had a young girl come in. She came from up downstairs where my wife was running a pro-life pregnancy center here in San Diego called CUP, Center for Unplanned Pregnancy. Had the privilege of being shut down by Planned Parenthood. You know, it's a long story. But anyway, um, she came up before I had women trained. And you know, I said, uh, I, I wish I was a woman. I can't. I'm not. I'm not going to get a an operation, you know, you're going to have to put up with me as a guy or whatever. I mean, so, uh, you know, so we talked. And now this is a girl who had been with like 30 to 60 guys in the last year. Not as a prostitute, but just running the streets. You know, and uh, she'd just become a Christian. She was living with some gals from a Calvary Chapel and was coming in for counseling. And, and uh, I said, make a list of your sins. You know, not to beat you up, but, you know, we want to help you grow. And, you know, you know, so she brought in a smoke, could hurt the baby, you know, uh, unmentioned sin, you know, and a bunch of other stuff. And what was it? What do you think it was? Take a guess. Anybody got a guess? Usually it's an abortion or she's gay. Or, no, I got it the first time. 
Uh, you masturbate. Yes. She was embarrassed, you know, at that. Okay. Put together a young woman, you know, uh, counseling with a guy. You know, it makes sense. The bottom line is you have to have discernment into people's lives. And the more you have experience and you can see the pieces, the more you begin to discern, okay, that's what I'm working with here. And because I'm working with that, now wisdom says, this is what I put together with this. Does that make sense? So perception into how things work. You have to be really careful. Okay? You have to be really careful. Not, and this is where individual counseling is important, getting information. The minute you think, oh, I know what this is like. Because I've dealt with 20 abuse cases, and this is going to go down exactly the same. That's a recipe for disaster. Because there are factors that may be involved in this case that you don't know. And see, Jesus had this through the Holy Spirit, as well as being God himself that he could discern, go get your husband. Do you want to be well? I've been like this for 40 years. What do you think I'm here at the pool of Bethesda for? I just can't get in the water fast enough. Okay? See the discernment. Nicodemus, are you born again? What do you mean? If you're not born again, you can't see or enter the kingdom of heaven, right? The woman at the well, is he direct or indirect? Starts out indirect, right? Uh, the man born blind, what's he do with him? Remember that, John 9? What's he do? Mud. Huh? The mud on his eyes. No, that's another guy. No, you're right, okay. He could go wash the pool, Siloam, yeah, okay. He can come back seeing, okay. But. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Yeah, well, that's later. That's after he's excommunicated and kicked out of the synagogue. <laughs> Jesus heals the dude, walks away, and lets him go through all this garbage. Then he comes up and goes, hey, you believe in the Son of Man? Hey, you tell me who he is. I'm the Son. Remember? So you see Nicodemus, what's the bottom line? Jesus. We had a little kid named Titus in our congregation. You ask him any questions, Jesus is the answer. He's right 90% of the time. <laughs> Jesus, okay? Jesus. Okay. Jesus is the answer to every one of those people in the Gospel of John, but he gets there differently, okay? Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know your Old Testament? What do you mean? It's Ezekiel 36 and 37. Don't you get it? It's really clear, right? Born from above by the water, I'll take you out of the nations, pour clean water on you, take heart of stone out, put a heart of flesh in, it's all that stuff. And what's Ezekiel 37? The valley of the dry bones. The spirit blows and you don't know where it comes. It's all there. Okay, but he's not in scripture with the woman at the well or the guy that's born blind. So you see the discernment and application. You see it in Solomon and his wisdom. He's a piker compared to Jesus Christ. Okay, so now, that's the first couple. Okay. couple. What's the second couple? The spirit of, okay, back to Isaiah chapter 11. He's the spirit not only of wisdom and discernment, but 
counsel and strength. What's counsel? To give advice in the form of a plan to accomplish a goal or goals. That's the general. Okay? And so counsel means to give advice in the form of a plan to accomplish goal. The verb means to give advice and plan. You see this most clearly in the Old Testament prophets. Because they were what? God's counselors to the king. And most of the time they got beat up and killed. Why? Because the message was, you are the covenant leader of my people and you are messing around and not doing what I told you to do. Repent. Or I'm going to send you into captivity. Well, I usually got you killed. Okay. So if you, if you look at Isaiah 41, I've got that listed for you, 42. If you're a preacher, how many, how many are preachers? If you can't preach that, hang it up. It preaches itself, okay? You know, I was looking for a counselor. He's talking about a prophet, okay, to give my wisdom. He says, because I couldn't find anybody to do the job, I'm going to send my servant. Again, another prophecy of Jesus Christ coming as the great counselor. And so you need counsel in the form of a plan. It's the, you know, we all laugh at Bob Newhart. Stop it. Stop it, or I'll bury you in a pine box. Okay, we laugh at that, okay? But, you know, we can't fall into this. Go take these two verses with prayer and get an accountability partner, and everything will be okay. okay? See, if you do that with some abused women, they'll be dead by next week. You, you, you have to really have a plan that can help a person to accomplish something. And Jesus Christ, of course, is, is uh, just brilliant. I mean, that sounds silly to say it, but Christ is brilliant. What, uh, uh, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How many of you have ever had someone come up to you and ask you that? <laughs> I've only had that two or three times in 50 years of ministry. You long for those days when someone comes and the guy asks him, Jesus, right? Remember that? Uh, okay. You know, why do you call me good, by the way? Now, why did Jesus quibble over words? Because that rich young ruler thought who was good? I'm okay, Jesus, and you're okay. Okay? And so Jesus says, you know, Jesus is not having a bad Messiah day. You know, he, he doesn't figure out who he is, okay? You know, no one's good except, you know, God. He's claiming to be God, okay? Well, you know the commandments, okay? And uh, by the way, uh, people will not change unless they're convicted of sin. So he says, you know the commandments, da 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 da, -da. Oh, yada-ching! I kept them since I've been a little kid. Really? So then Jesus becomes newthetic. I'm going to give you assignment a homework assignment. Two parts. Take everything you have, sell it and give it to the poor, and come follow me. And you remember what happened. What, what happened? He didn't like the homework. But it's a step-by-step -step plan. Here's the, here's the problem. You're a coveter. You're a coveter. And unless you repent of that, can't enter the kingdom. 
Did Jesus chase him? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Savior now, Lord later. A six-month trial. Try me. You'll like me. Did he? No, what's it say? He looked at him and loved him. And because he loved him, he wouldn't compromise. But he gave him specific instructions step by step by step. Brilliant. Jesus with Peter. You like that one? John 21. Peter, let's go for a walk. Okay, as far as we know from the record, uh, Peter had seen Jesus, had been with them, right? But we don't know yet that he's forgiven. And John's scrambling, I think, to prove that Peter's still an apostle. Uh, Peter, do you what? Love me. The first time he says, what? More than these. Remember, remember Peter? You, you were the one who said, uh, if anybody else, uh, I'm going to be right there. And I told you, you were going to fail. And after you failed, I would pray for you and you'd be restored. Do you love me more than these? And what's Peter's answer? Well, Lord, you know I really like you. Okay. Go feed my lambs. Second time. Peter, do you love me? Straight up. Not, no comparison this time. Three denials, three confrontations, pairs them down, and the last time he goes, Lord, you what? Know everything. Go feed my sheep. And then, of course, the Lord's so gracious, I'd smack him. He turns around and goes, what about John? Mind your own business, Peter. I just told you you'd get your martyrdom. You know, you got what you wanted, you know? There's, there's counseling. Step-by-step -step plan that, that applies the word of God to those circumstances. And of course, the pair with it is what? Strength. I don't know about you, but man, I'd rather preach a thousand times rather than counsel one hour. Counseling takes a lot out of you. Not that preaching doesn't either. Okay? But you know, preaching's easy. <clears throat> you got one text, right? that you got to apply to a hundred or a thousand people. You say, well, that's hard. Eh, it is, but you know. What's counseling? A thousand passages of scripture. <laughs> In fact, the whole thing, what? Pared down and applied to this person in his or her circumstances to face that. See what I'm saying? It's tough. In a sense, you got to know the whole Bible and you got to have a step-by-step -step plan, but also what? Strength. Is any, any, any of you sinners like me? You get worn out? You ever get worn out by counselees? They're called kids. Oh. <laughs> okay. so some of you are still waiting for your kids to grow up, okay? To, to come to the Lord, you know, and to respond. It, it's wearying, isn't it? It takes strength to counsel 
And Jesus had it by the grace of God, okay? Right? I call them the 12 numbskulls. You think they were prize packages before Pentecost? Okay. I'm going up to Jerusalem and the elders are going to take me, nail me to a cross. On the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. Right over their head. Jesus, out of the Passover, institutes the Lord's Supper, my body and blood. I have longed to eat this Passover before I suffer for you. Well, who's the greatest uh, one of us here? Man, I'd have drop kicked them through the uprights, man. Talk about it. Dude, that takes strength. I said this before uh, last year. I don't know if it was here. It was probably a different conference. But I think the substitutionary atonement started early. I think Jesus got spanked. I can't prove that. I know it's total speculation. You know why I think he got spanked? Not because he never sinned. But he had a mom who goes, how could you have left in Jerusalem? Mom, I had to be in the temple. I mean, Mary's getting on his case, right? And he's got what? Brothers and sisters. And you know what happens when you have brothers and sisters, right? Who did that? <laughs> Can't prove it, but I think Jesus probably got spanked. For, we know he didn't do anything wrong. Okay? And... and he suffered through all his life. It took strength, okay, power to do that. Okay, so we know that. And the, the final, uh, final two, and then we'll leave some time for, for a Q&A. Knowledge, the spirit of knowledge and what? The fear of the Lord. I would submit to you there's never been a human being that has ever lived that had the fear of the Lord like Jesus Christ. It's not the abject uh, cower in the corner fear. Okay, and I, I'm going to give a seminar on that tomorrow. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of counseling. But without the fear of the Lord, the counselor and the counselee will not humble themselves before the living God and submit to what he tells them to do. Knowledge means learning. Okay? Um, God's the heart knower. He knows us perfectly. Okay? And you know as you accumulate more and more knowledge, you're going to have to be able to help people. And the more you know of the scriptures and the more you know of God's working and the more you know of individuals, the better you're going to be able to craft all these other things in terms of a wise knowledgeable step-by-step -step procedure that's going to get what? Both at, that's another sermon for another time, balance, outer man and inner man. Okay? Because uh, some people have, have pointed out, oh, I think biblical counseling is too oriented toward obedience and outward activity. They emphasize the heart, okay? And they forget that, you know, yeah, you've got to change not only in your heart, but in your actions. Philippians 4 is the great paradigm for that one, right? Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, right? But heart, head, and hands. Heart, your relationship with God. Head, your thinking. 
and your hands what you do. The peace of God that passes all understanding comes from what? Prayer with thanksgiving, proper thinking, and proper practice. The total man has to be involved, okay? And so, uh, that is the package, and Jesus had that, as we're told. And it's a wonderful thing. The spirit of Jehovah shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He'll not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. Boy, this is really important in general, but particularly if you're working with abusers. Because our job is not only to try to correct people, but it's to protect people. There are some times that you're not going to be able to salvage someone. It's the work of the Spirit anyway. So again, these are the qualities of a Christ-like counselor. One who has the Holy Spirit giving him or her wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Okay? And so the Holy Spirit must be present in your counseling, and that could be a whole seminar in of itself. The work of the Holy Spirit in counseling and the counselor and the counselee. He must give you these Christ-like attributes. He counsels you so you can counsel others. Second Corinthians, that great passage, chapter 1. I was so far gone, had the sentence of death written in me, and God did this so I wouldn't depend on me, but on him who raises the dead, and so that I could comfort what? You with the comfort with which God comforted me. See, that, my dear friends, is why God counsels you. Well, there's no better model than Jesus Christ himself and the other counselor, who is the Holy Spirit, he'll come and convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment, etc., etc. Well, you need these attributes to counsel, and you can only get them through study and wrestling with God. And may he give you these attributes in full measure so that you'll be fruitful. Uh, this is the only way you can counsel what? Not by what your eye sees or your hear, but really in righteousness and truth. Well, let me... Uh, stop here. We have about six minutes. Questions or responses on this in terms of the attributes, the attributes of wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, and fear of the Lord. I don't believe in long campfires. And, you know, asking you to come forward and whatever. But, you know, uh, so if there's no questions, we'll wrap up and send you home. And, uh, and I'll be here to answer your individual questions if you don't want to ask them publicly. Okay. But I want to give you, again, a second chance to, to answer, uh, ask a question. How do you discern if you're counseling wrong or somebody just doesn't want to receive that? Okay. The question is... How do you know, uh, how do you discern between you're doing a poor job and somebody that just doesn't want to, to follow? Well, that's one of the, the issues in terms of crafting uh, good homework. You know, something that's reasonable. Don't, you know, leap over 
tall buildings in a single bound. You know, the, don't ask them to do supernatural things, but you know, just the regular things saying, look, I'd like you to read this passage. Now it depends whether the person comes in antagonistically to begin with. You know, the teenager who sits there, or the husband who's been drugged in by the wife, you have a hostile, you have a hostile counselee. And at that point, you really need uh, preliminarily to win the person, you know, before you actually try to give them assignments of where to go. So um, the assumption is, okay, have I gone through uh, good data gathering? Do I really have a handle on this? Am I answering before, you know, I really have enough information? <laughs> um, you know, and just ask the person, am I not scratching you where you itch? You know, do, do you think that I'm not perceiving the issue correctly? Okay, and, and therefore, maybe you don't want to do the homework. So um, that comes from experience and learning from your mistakes and from other people, you know, in terms of saying, you know, could this possibly be me? And so that's why you should take notes. You should go over and review your cases and say, uh, did I ask enough good questions? Did I get enough uh, data? Did I build enough hope? You know, did I do these basic things that are to the structure of biblical counseling? And if you fail, then you can come back and say, I'm sorry. You know, um, you know, last week I didn't give you much hope. Now, I did a pretty good job getting information, uh, but I, I kind of left you out there, and I don't get the sense that you really, you really think that God has answers. Well, he really does, you know, and you can go back over that. Uh, sometimes um, I'll say to people, look, I, I'm trying to do the best I can. I may not be the brightest light in the harbor, the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I'm doing the best I can. And tell me if you don't think that this is really, you know, doing the job, and I'll reconsider and pray about it. You know? So again, uh, one of the main things I think in counseling is you have to treat people as partners. They're not cars to be fixed. You know, you're, you're torquing their engine or, you know, you're tuning them up or whatever. You know, they have to be, you know, involved in this process. And if, if they're there and they don't want to be there, you know, somehow you're going to have to convince them to be there and to participate. So that would be the first thing, you know, uh, to say, are they really there willingly? If they are, you know, then treat them as partners and say, okay, this is where I want to go. If you've got a problem with this, please speak up. Let me know that you don't think I'm really scratching you where you itch. Okay? Because humility is always a good thing to say I'm, you know, not to the point where you go, I don't know what I'm doing, and I don't know why you're coming to me. You know, so let's just pray. I mean, you have to have something to give them. But, you know, check yourself out first. There are some lists that Jay Adams and other have of things to check. When counseling's not going well, you know, go through this checklist. You know, did you point to Christ? <clears throat> did you give him the gospel? You know, have you really uh, defined the problems, you know, and the interrelationship of the problems? You know, do we really have a good picture here? And then did you apply the proper scripture and a practical step-by-step -step procedure that might help them to overcome this? Okay. So review, review, review. It's kind of like a ball game in a sense, you know. You, know, if you, you get hit for, you know, 16 runs in the first inning, you have to come to the conclusion, my pitching isn't very good. <laughs> yeah. 
was it just the selection of pitches or what was going on, you know, you know, where did I go wrong? So to be honest, you're going to make mistakes. It's just part of admission. If you don't, if you don't, are not willing to make mistakes, you can't counsel. Because this is, this is like more like a ball game. And you can have a perfect game plan, you know, but if it, if it doesn't work out, you know, you have to readjust. I don't know if that's been specific enough for you. Other questions? Yes? Off of uh, your answer to him, he said if you have a hostile counselee who doesn't want to be there, first you have to win them over. Can you expand on that at all? Yeah, okay. Uh, to expand on that, if you have a hostile uh, counselee. Now often, I know I wasn't a very good teenager. You know, I, was, I was a goofy kid, okay? So I never was a good one, and I don't like, you know, do well with teenagers. So my shtick usually with this teenager sits there. See, look, there's two people that don't want to be here. You and me. Because they brought you here for me to fix you, and I can't fix you. And two, you don't want to be fixed. So we've got a problem, okay? How are we going to solve this? Do you want to help me with this? So one of two ways. I can treat you as an adult and you can participate. I can treat you like a, you know, a dead log or whatever and tell them how to drag you. And they always go, well, yeah, I want to be treated like an adult. Then you treat them like an adult and they don't do it. Okay? So the bottom line is people can give you a verbal assent but not follow through. You know, I, just, I just think the best policy is to be straight up. Do you want to be here? You sure don't look like you want to be here. Why do I the fuck? Okay, watch the profanity. Okay, I could tell you know from your body language you didn't want to be here. <clears throat> Plus the fact you didn't fill out the, the the sheets. Okay, so tell me what's the deal? Okay, so you don't want to be you know well, I'll treat the hard-headed husband the same way as I'll treat the teenager. You know, you know they may just say hey I'm out of here I'm not coming back. So okay, I lock the door and they get the gospel at least one time. You know, you're not going to get out of here before you hear the gospel. You know, but I, I can't make people to want to be there. And so I think the best thing is to, is to lay it out there and say, why are you here? Well, you know, it's nine times out of ten, it says, what's your problem? Her. What's your problem? Him. Okay, good. Okay. Nope. Your problem is you. Because if they die tonight, you'll still be the same person tomorrow. And you won't have changed and you'll be bitter, and you'll have other problems as well. So I try to take that stuff straight on and make sure that they want to be there. And it doesn't hurt in that first or second session to say, can we make a commitment? Will you promise to give me 10 weeks? We may not solve everything in 10 weeks, but at least we can start. Okay? Well, let me pray and send you on your way because it's, it's after 9, and I'll be here for those that want to speak. Father in heaven, please bless us. Uh, help us to really uh, grow in uh, wisdom and perception and counsel and strength and above all the fear of the Lord and knowledge of you because Lord that's what we need these general characteristics before we even get to specifics we pray this in your son's name amen Copyright 2017, IBCD, all rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.